Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Now, live and direct from the press box at Old Comiskey Park, it's time for When Football Was Football. Let's join your host, Joe Ziemba, with another forgotten tale from Chicago's pro football history. Let's go! George Hells, the founder and also coach of the Chicago Bears for many decades, is remembered for many reasons. He was an exceptional leader on the field who continually kept his club in contention for NFL honors and won several league titles himself. He is recalled as one of the founders of the National Football League, while also remembered as being tough, frugal, and perhaps visionary. Bears fans adored him. Green Bay fans hated him, while Cardinals fans still blame him for forcing their team out of Chicago over 60 years ago. But if George Hellas should be remembered for anything, it should be his unselfish patriotism as a result of his stints in the service during two world wars. During World War I, Hellas left the University of Illinois and enlisted in the U.S. Navy. In early 1918, Hellas was assigned to the Great Lakes Naval Training Center just north of Chicago. There, instead of being placed on a transport ship intended for the war zone in Europe, Hellas spent his service tenure playing football, basketball, and baseball for the highly visible Great Lakes athletic program. Hellas was never an impact player on the gridiron at Illinois, but certainly blossomed at Great Lakes. Due to an influenza outbreak in 1918, along with few colleges actually fielding a football team that year due to the war, Great Lakes found itself in the 1919 Rose Bowl. Playing alongside future Bears teammate Patty Driscoll, Hallis was named the MVP of the Rose Bowl as Great Lakes defeated Mare Island, another service club. However, the fact that Hallis avoided combat during World War I through no fault of his own always bothered him. He enjoyed the opportunity to play sports at the highest level during his time in the military but it always nagged him that he was unable to do more for his country. And then, at the height of his football powers in 1942, Hellas left his team, home, and family to volunteer once again for the war effort during World War II. At the age of 47, Hellas was likely too old for active duty and combat, but that was exactly what he was looking to achieve. So, as we approach Memorial Day in 2022, we remember George Hellas once again, not because he lost his life in combat, but because of his unwavering effort to assist when his country was in need. On this episode of When Football Was Football, we'll follow the decision that Hellas made in 1942 to enter the service and how that choice affected his beloved Chicago Bears. When the departure of Hellas finally occurred, would the Bears falter and fail? Or would the team react positively to a new set of leaders and coaches 
After all, Hallis controlled virtually every aspect of the Chicago Bears at that time, as he had since 1920. The team would end up doing just fine, but for Hallis, his personal entry into the war effort was intended to appease his inner drive to do more for his country. In his autobiography, Hallis explained the situation following the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in December of 1941. He said, The Japanese attack brought to the fore a commitment I had made to myself at the end of World War I. I had gone into the Navy as a volunteer and asked for sea duty but the Navy had assigned me to the sports program at the Great Lakes Naval Training Station, playing on the base teams and helping to coach football. On discharge, I pledged myself that if another war ever came, I would get myself where the action was. The time has come to make good on that commitment. And the correct time for George Hallis occurred right in the middle of the 1942 season. His club had captured two straight NFL titles, and the Bears were off to a fantastic start in 1942 with a 4-0 record after also smashing through five opponents in exhibition games. Included in that number of preseason games was a 21-0 throttling of the college All-Stars before over 101,000 fans in Chicago on August 28th. Hallis would enjoy one final game prior to his departure when the Philadelphia Eagles were in town on October 25, 1942. Hallis was due to be surprised at halftime by Lieutenant Commander Carl Olson with a jovial goodbye ceremony. The only problem was that Hallis almost failed to show up. No one wanted to reveal the secret ceremony to Hallis before the half, and during the break, he took longer than usual to explain the nuances of the game to his team, which was just nursing a 17-7 lead. When he finally emerged on the field, the band broke out in a serenade of, for he's a jolly good fellow. I'd sing that, but I don't want to frighten anybody. And Lieutenant Commander Olson took over the microphone and announced, if this is a surprise to George Hellas, it will make us happy. The radio football audience and fans would deem it unwise if he left without some sort of ceremony. I speak for all the lovers of the great game of football when I say they admire and respect you for your energy and effort in putting professional football on the high plane it now enjoys in the sports world. Olson then presented Hallis with a symbolic sword as the Bears coach prepared to leave for his initial assignment in Norman, Oklahoma. Hallis was certainly touched by the gesture and said, This indeed is a complete surprise and I do feel honored by this presentation and wish to thank my friends. As you all know, it is difficult to leave the Bears at this time, but nevertheless, I am looking forward to my naval duties. I hope, I really hope, I will be a credit to naval aviation. He was likely to be even more pleased with the results of the game that day as the Bears scored four times in the second half and demolished the Eagles 45-14. to It was a nearly perfect day for the powerful Bears who were led by Hall of Fame quarterback Sid Luckman and the versatile halfback, Frank Mznicki. The latter was a rookie halfback from Boston College who contributed a touchdown, a field goal, and three extra points. Chicago piled up 415 yards overall to just 81 for the visitors and effectively blitzed the Eagles' defense throughout the game with the Bears' robust T formation. Within a week, Ellis was officially reactivated on November 1st, 1942, as a lieutenant commander. But what would happen to the Bears? 
The team was reveling in an 11-game NFL winning streak and appeared poised to easily grab a third straight professional crown. But times were difficult for both the Bears and the NFL during wartime, and Hallis needed to make some tough decisions before his imminent departure. First and foremost, Hallis would be faced with the challenging decision regarding who would replace him as the head coach. There were three very experienced and capable candidates already on the coaching staff in assistants Patty Driscoll, Hunk Anderson, and Luke Johnsos. Ultimately, all three would receive increased responsibilities during the absence of George Hallis, as reported in the Chicago Tribune, which said, George Hallis turned over the responsibilities, worries, and the pleasure that goes with having a championship 11 to his three assistants. To Luke Johnsos and Hunk Anderson, he willed the running of the team on the field, designating the pair as co-coaches. To Patty Driscoll, he assigned many of the off-field duties in addition to his regular post as backfield coach. In addition, club secretary Ralph Bizzolera would serve as the Bears' new business manager and the Tribune speculated that the Hallis replacements would break into their new roles quite easily due to the opposition in the very first game without their old and future boss. The Tribune said, On the surface, it appears that the new Bear administration will have a soft touch Sunday against the Detroit Lions who have dropped six consecutive league games. Indeed, the 1942 version of the Chicago Bears may have been one of the strongest units in the team's history, but the often inept Lions proved to be a stern test for the Bears. The two teams battled to a scoreless deadlock through most of the first half until Ray McLean grabbed a 33-yard scoring toss near the end of the second quarter, providing the Bears with a 6-0 halftime edge over the stubborn Lions in the second half. Luckman connected with Harry Clark on a 26-yard touchdown pass, and Lee Arto added the extra point. In the fourth quarter, Nicky booted a 16-yard field goal to enable the Bears to escape with a 16-0 victory. Although the difficulty of the victory over the Lions was a bit of a surprise, the Bears plowed through the remainder of the schedule with five more easy victories, outscoring their opponents 183-14. With a solid 11-0 mark in the regular season, the Bears were then heavily favored in the title tilt with the Washington Redskins, who were 10-1. The Boston Globe noted that the success of the undefeated Bears in 1942 has let the betting boys to lay odds of three to one or three touchdowns on the Bears. The game was quickly sold out over a week in advance. With over 36,000 tickets gobbled up, the league office simply stated, even congressmen and government bigwigs seeking tickets were dismissed with the comment that everything was sold a week ago. Without Hellas, the powerful Bears were still expected to easily brush aside the Washington club which was pinning its hopes on quarterback Sammy Baugh. He's our ace, said Washington coach Ray Flaherty, and we're going to use him as much as possible. But it all came crashing down for the Bears in that 1942 NFL championship game when the Redskins surprised the Bears 14-6 to derail Chicago's two-year run as the NFL champion. The Bears' exquisite T-formation was crippled by the aggressive Washington defense. In fact, the only score for the Bears occurred in the first quarter when big tackle Lee Arto picked up a loose fumble and ran 45 yards for the only score by the losers. 
the Associated Press reported, before a sellout crowd of 36,000 strictly partisan fans, the Redskin line threw monkey wrenches into the mighty Model T machine from Chicago that had rolled over its last 24 opponents in a row. All the Bears' pet plays, particularly the quick opening line smashes for which they are famous, were wrecked throughout the afternoon. The Bears and their fans were stunned by the surprising setback, but quarterback Sid Luckman was not afraid to publicly lament the shocking defeat and the missing influence from George Hallis when he said, We were beginning to think of ourselves as unbeatable. George Hallis would never have allowed that. He always told us we must go into every game prepared to meet a superior team. We did not work as before. The inevitable occurred. We ceased being the champions. Hunk Anderson and Luke Johnsos continued to lead the Bears through the, through the 1945 season while Hallis served his country. The pain of the Bears' 1942 championship game debacle vanished when the co-coaches led the team to an 8-1-1 record in 1943. In the championship game, once again against Washington, the Bears secured a bit of sweet revenge when they blasted the Redskins 41-21 to secure another NFL crown. After posting marks of 6-3-1 in 1944 and then stumbling to a 3-7 finish in 1945, the Bears were looking less than invincible. Part of the problem on the field was the lack of qualified players as Coach Johnson estimated that the Bears had lost 19 of their 28 players due to military commitments. He added, we held tryouts at Cubs Park and signed up anybody who could run around the field twice. We had players 40 years old, 50 years old. We had a very poor ball club, but people were making a lot of money and audiences held up fairly well. And so the Bears welcomed back Coach George Hellis in 1946, and he was joined by many talented players who had also served in the war. The result was a complete turnaround from the 1945 campaign as the Bears ended their season with an 8-2-1 record. This qualified the Bears for another spot in the NFL title game, this time against the New York Giants. Ellis was not disappointed as his squad clubbed the Giants 24-14 in front of a record crowd of 58,346. It was the seventh championship won by the Bears and the fourth in the 1940s, proving that Ellis had not missed a step during his time away from the game. Thank you for joining us for this episode of When Football Was Football, and please stop by for our next program when we'll continue our examination of the Chicago Bears with a closer look at that 1946 title. How did George Hallis turn the team around so quickly? And how the heck do you reprimand a lineman for not hustling during wind sprints after he was just spent three or four years dodging bullets in service to his country? Also, the episode you just heard marks the beginning of our third year on the Sports History Network, and I'd like to thank Arnie Chapman, founder of the Sports History Network, for allowing me the opportunity to share some forgotten football history on this great platform. Thank you. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
We at the Sports History Network are so glad to introduce to you a new addition to our lineup. The Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast is a weekly podcast that focuses on the history and memorabilia of North American football since its inception in 1869. It's hosted by Bob Swick, the publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and Joe Squires, a longtime contributor to that magazine. The podcast was launched in 2017 and has over 150 episodes that you can listen to now on a Sports History Network, as well as your favorite podcast provider. So join Bob and Joe as they go through football history, talking about the memorabilia and the great legendary players and games of the American Gridiron on the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast.